Today's topic is when God is in that situation, it is not over yet. No matter what the situation, what situation you find yourself in, let's just put it that way. If God is in it, even when the enemy has you backed up against the corner, it's not over yet. Uh, the punchline for today is going to be this statement I'm about to make now. God always has one more move. God always has one more move. Uh, there is no way that the devil can checkmate you when God is in your corner. Um, for those who play chess, you know, I used to play chess quite a bit when I was much younger. Um, you know, when you have your opponent in a situation where every move they make is going to put their, you know, uh, queen in, in danger, a check. And if there is no other move they can make, then it's checkmate. You know, so the, you know, the devil has to wait. Hear this. The devil has to wait for God to make a move and then try to foul it up because he has no originality in himself. Whereas God knows every move that the devil or anybody is ever going to make, you know, thousands of moves all at once. He knows it all instantly. So those who are really great chess players, they can come in, take a look at the board and checkmate their opponent right away. <laughs> you know, they make one move and there is no other move that the opponent can make. Well, you know, the devil can never have you in that situation. Because God will always have one more move, you know. And, you know, there's sometimes then we are in a situation and the situation has lingered for a while. That people would think, well, maybe God has forgotten me, maybe this or that, you know, and so on. But let me assure you, according to the word of God, I'm going to read to you a few examples in the Bible. I, you know, probably even up to 10 or 12 examples. That will show you that when God is still in this situation, you know, then it's not yet over. You know, so we're going to go very quickly and I will just go through these examples quickly. You know, the word of God is always given for us. All these stories that are in the Bible are there for our admonition, for our exhortation, you know, to encourage us in faith. So let me start with Moses and the children of Israel. As you know the story, when they came out of the um, land of Egypt and were going as God would have them, the Pharaoh was pursuing after them. And he came to a place where Pharaoh had them up against the Red Sea. And there's a lot of people that are facing certain Red Sea moments in their lives today. It seems as if there is no place to go forward enemies, you know, charging down behind you, the front, there's nowhere to go, you know, and uh, Pharaoh in his mind might have thought that, well, I got them right where I want them, you know, and even thinking, <laughs> you know, this, these people, their God is a poor general. I mean, why, why is God them up in this way? You know, uh, you know, now I'm going to destroy them all, you know, so, but God always has one more move. The move that God would make in this case, 
is just wait for Perio to be so confident and think that he's got the people of Israel right where he wants them. And God will just sucker him in, you know, have them all come into the middle of the Red Sea and then pour all that water down on them and destroy them all. But for the people of God, the Lord said, go forward to Moses. And as the Lord asked him, he stretched over, you know, the rod in his hand. The Red Sea parted and the children of Israel went right over on dry land, which the Egyptians trying to do, God destroyed them all. So whereas the enemy thought that he had them backed up against the wall and no place to go, but see what God did. That's the first story. The second story, in uh, and you can read that story that I just said about, you know, from Exodus chapter 12, 13, and 14, uh, that, you know, journey that they had from um, the land of Egypt. The, uh, the next story is Elijah and the widow, First Kings chapter 17. You can read it about verses 7 through 16. Uh, this widow thought that she had her, she was preparing her very last meal. And she said, well, all I got when the man of God said, you know, go fetch me some water. And while you're at it, make me a cake and bring it for me that I may eat. And she said, as the Lord thy God leaves, I have nothing in the house but just a small cup of flour and a little uh, cup of oil. And then I'm going to bake a cake. I'm gathering a couple of sticks, heat up the oven. And when we bake it, my wife, my child and I will eat it and we will die. Because the famine had been so sore in the land. And so she was, that was going to be her last meal, she thought. You know, but God had one more move that was going to pull her out of that. And Elijah said to her, don't worry about that today. Nobody is dying today. You just go do as I say and see what the Lord is going to do. So God had one more move, pull that lady and her child out of it by the word of the Lord. The barrel of meal shall not waste and the cruise of hell shall not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And from that day on, she obeyed the word of God. She had plenty to eat, her and her son, all many days until the famine was over, until the conditions returned to normal. You know, whereas she thought that she was at the end of the road, God pulled out tremendous miracle for her. Um, there's also, you know, Eli, I mean, this one was Elisha with the Shunammite, Elisha with the Shunammite woman, Elisha with the Shunammite woman. You know, so Second Kings chapter four verses one to seven. This woman also she was in dire situation. Her husband was dead, and her husband did fear the Lord. But now, all the uh, you know indebtedness that they have, their creditors are come. They could not pay, and they were threatening to carry her sons into bondage to pay off the debt that they had. Cried unto the man of God. But, you know, she was at her wit's end, knew nothing else to do. But at the word of the Lord pulled up 
pulled out just yet another move. There's always one more move that God can pull out no matter how bleak the situation is. And when the man of God said to her, what do you have in your house? And she said, well, I got nothing but a little pot of oil. And the man of God said, that is enough. You know, just go and borrow a lot of parts from your neighbors. You know the story. And when you, when they brought it in, shut the door, pour the oil into the pot, set it aside, bring another one. And when it, you know, when it's done, then you go and sell the oil, pay your debt, leave off the rest. You know, so whereas she thought that, you know, her life was going to be ruined, her husband is dead, now her slaves, I mean, her children are now going to go into slavery, and she's going to be completely devastated. God pulled out one more move for her. There's always one more move. There's many, many stories like this in the Bible. Jehoshaphat versus three armies. You know that he was outnumbered in Second Chronicles 20. Ammon, Mount Seir, and the children of Moab. You know, and it seemed as if there was, you know, they had no help. He said, we are outnumbered, but our eyes are upon you. You know, so, but God had one more move for them. You know, when it seemed as if, you know, the, the, these armies that came down upon them would completely destroy them, the word of the Lord gave them assurance that today you will not even need to fight because the Lord is going to fight for you. And the Lord turned that situation around, made their enemies to face each other and one another and destroy the, you know, one another. And God gave a tremendous victory to Jehoshaphat and his people that day even though initially it seemed as if that was the end of the line for them because the armies that came upon them were so many more than they themselves and what can i say about mordecai versus haman in the story of esther you can read chapter 6 verses 1 to 12 after haman was promoted and mordecai would not do him obeisance you know, he got very furious and planned to destroy Mordecai. And he said, well, you know, even his wife and his friends, everybody, you know, stared him up and said, well, Mordecai alone is not enough. Destroy all the Jews along with him. And when he thought he had everything going, he even thought he had favor because, the, you know, he was invited, you know, and so forth. And he didn't know that God was setting him up. And just about the time that he thought he had all the Jews right where he wanted them, he built gallows, you know, around his house where he was going to hang Mordecai, where he was going to hang everybody, and he even sent letters out. He got the king to sign it without the king knowing what he was doing. How they were going to destroy all the Jews upon a certain day. And the very day that he thought that he was going to do that before that God would step into the situation. Because God always has one more move to deliver his people. And the move this time around was the angel of the Lord came and troubled the king so that the king could not sleep in the night. And when he couldn't sleep in the night, he asked them to bring the journals and the chronicles and all the events where they log all the things that happened around the kingdom. And when they did, he found the place where Mordecai had saved the life of the king a couple of times by reporting assassination attempts against the king. 
And he said, what has been done for this man? And then the Chamberlains and everybody that were around him said, nothing. And he said, wow. You know, and right there and then, you know, Mordecai was, God was fixing to do something tremendous. Haman had just come into the court and God, you know, put in the heart, in the heart of the king right at that same time. You see, who is in the court? And he said, well, Haman is there. And the Haman came to the front of the king. King said, well, if the king wants to honor somebody, what should the king do? And this man thinking that, well, who else would the king honor but myself? You know, pronounce all kinds of things. Give him your ring. Give him your horse. Say, let, you know, proclaim him throughout the land. Let him see whatever he says goes and so on. And the king said, okay, that's fine. You go do exactly that to Mordecai and you know here is the story in that one God turned the tables because he had one more move they had already made a decree to destroy all the Jews but God will pull out something tremendous and it's almost like God setting a table before you in the presence of your enemies and making your enemy to serve you on that table the man that was going to destroy them actually served up that blessing to Mordecai. And it was his own very mouth that went and pronounced that thing because he was the one that decreed all the things that the king had to do to the man that was to be blessed because he thought he was himself. God turned that, those tables around and at the end of the day, you know, it was a totally different story. The Jews had the upper hand. You know, this God always has one more move you know talk about shadrach meshach and abednego you know daniel chapter 3 verses 13 to about 30 you know and uh, when they were going into that fire at the penalty of death because they refused to bow to the music of nebuchadnezzar or even worship his image you know and he said well i give you one more chance or i'm going to throw you in here and it seemed like it was the end of the road heated up the thing seven times you know, and even the people that were hitting up the 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 the, the uh, fairy furnace, they themselves were consumed by the flame. And I imagine that maybe Nebuchadnezzar was, you know, staying behind some fireproof glass or something and looking through. And the children of Israel, of course, those three Hebrew boys said, "We are not careful. We're not even going to waste any time considering this matter. We know our God is able." To deliver us now the lesson in that story is also that your assurance that God is able to deliver you in whatever situation you are facing even though it looks like the end of the road that assurance in your heart is non-negotiable you must have that assurance in your heart these children said we know that God is able to deliver us and he will deliver us but even if he chooses not to for whatever reason best known to him you know, we still will not bow down. And God pulled out another incredible move. You know, one of the likes that we have never seen. You know, people, three young men, bound hand and foot, cast into a flaming uh, fairy furnace. And as soon as they landed in there, they were set free. The angel of the Lord came. And even this Nebuchadnezzar, was a very ungodly man, looked upon the furnace and said, wow, looks like there is a son of God walking around there. These men are loose. God had yet one more move 
to pull out the uh, his uh, children out of the fire. What about Daniel in the lion's den? When all his enemies ganged up against him, Daniel chapter 6 verses 10 to about 28, and conspired against him in the law of his God, because they said, we know this man is a righteous man. But they hated him. They were jealous and you know, envious of him because he kept getting promotions. And said, the only way we are going to get rid of him is to make a law that will violate something for the law of his God. And we know he's not going to change. So we we'll get him that way. God the king to sign the decree. Nobody should make any petition to any other gods but thee for 30 days. Of course, they knew they were going to get Daniel like that. And they threw Daniel into the lion's den. The king being sorry, but couldn't change it because it was the word. And the laws of the Medians and Persians cannot be changed once it is sealed with the king's seal. But at the end of the day, you know, even though the enemy said, I got you now. The devil said, well, I got you now in the lion's den. Before you get into the, even on the ground, the lions will have mastery of you. The enemy thought he had devil, I mean, had Daniel all pinned down. But the angel of the Lord, God had one more move to come out in there and pull him out. Yes, and God actually did pull him out of there. You know, and he was harmed. I mean, he was, I mean, he was not harmed at all by even the lions. I mean, he might have even just slept on, you know, these, the lions' manes. You know, and just had a nice rest and everything was just calm around him, you know, until the next morning and the king pulled him out. And all the enemies of Daniel ended up in that same place where they had thought to destroy Daniel. The Lord always had one more move and they could not escape the lions. What about Peter in prison in Acts chapter 12 when Herod was at thought verses 1 to 10? You know, to bring him out, you know, after the feast and to destroy him. You know, the people of God praying. And at the last minute, the angel of the Lord was there. Who pulled Peter out of the prison. And I'm going to tell you a story. So that always reminds me of a story that I experienced, you know, many years ago. You know, when I was in Nigeria, a young man, many, many years ago, um, there was a young lady that was trying to give her life to the Lord. But her family was, uh, uh, you know, a, a family of satanic worshippers, and they had dedicated her to the devil. And they would try to erase her mind and everything. You know, she was taken to a synagogue of Satan, and they chained her down, and she was to be prepared for an altar. It's a true story. I was involved in this story. She was to be prepared for a sacrifice. And I went in there with somebody else trying to set her free. We saw her in chains. They had shaved, shaved her head. They put chains around. I mean, she looked like a monkey. They put chains around her, her, her hands, tied her to the floor, you know, and everything. And she had... I mean, she, she didn't even, she had lost her mind. She couldn't even recognize me, even though she knew who I was before that. And, you know, I was unable to do anything for her, you know, and to set her free. And the people, the people actually that were run that synagogue, they threatened me that if I came back again, they were going to cut off my head with machete. Because 
I violated their temple. I did not remove my shoes when I went in there. I said, what am I going to remove? This is a synagogue of Satan. So they threw me out of that place and locked the gates. And the gates of that place were like 15 feet high. You know, some, some occultic uh, compound that was far from the main street that we had to go there. In any case, long story short, the brethren gathered together. This was in the 1970s, ladies and gentlemen. The brethren gathered together and continued to pray for her, just like the story of Peter. And we didn't know what to do. I even went with another man of God. Later on, twice I went there. And uh, this man was somebody that I thought was from their, you know, their own side of the uh, country. And maybe we'll be able to speak with them. But the story was the same. They threw us out. But one day, when I was in the university, those of you who are from Nigeria, you may know a place called University of Ibadan. And I was there. And, you know, I was just about going to university when this thing happened. So one day I was in my dorm. And, uh, you know, and somebody knocked on my door. And uh, I went and opened, and this sister was standing right there. And I said, oh, my goodness, how did you get here? And she told me the most incredible thing that I've ever heard. And if I hadn't read this Acts chapter 12, maybe I wouldn't have believed. Well, I would have believed it anyway, because I, I believe anything. But she told me that one night, and I seen her in my with my own eyes. She was being prepared for the sacrifice. You know, and she said that one night she just saw a bright figure that stood in front of her and the chains fell off. And the figure said, follow me. And she followed and the gates opened up. And I have seen those gates, guys. They threw me out of that game. Told me if you come back, we're going to kill you. And the, the, the compound is one mile away from the main, main road. It's in the bush somewhere. And she followed this figure. She didn't know what it was. It was like she was in a trance. Followed the figure to the road. The guy put her in what, it, what we call public transport in those days. Gave instructions to the, the driver to bring her to where I was. You know, uh, all the way from this thing was, you know, outside. You know, the, the places where we're talking about was outside Lagos in Nigeria. Those of you who might know. And they had to drive all the way to Ibadan come to my campus she didn't know where i was she didn't even recognize me the last time i saw her you know the, the driver brought her all the way to my dorm there are several dorms in that campus and i live upstairs and uh you know he was given instructions to tell her which room to go and then she you know when she was dropped off the driver told her go you know go up to that room you know and so forth that's where he is <laughs> you know and uh, she knocked on my door and almost fell over. That's the angel of the Lord. When this sister was about to be sacrificed, one more move. God always had him. Real story, guys. This is not just stuff that we read in the Bible. This was real story. I was a part of that story. God always has one more move. And it was just like this Acts chapter 12. What about Paul and Silas? In Acts chapter 16. When the enemy threw them into prison, thought that they, they got them all locked up. Angel of the Lord, one more move. God always has that one move. He always has something that he can pull out. When the devil thinks he's got you right where he wants you. 
And of course, they praised the Lord in the night, midnight. They were not ashamed to sing praises. And they were not bitter or complaining about their situation either. They were just praising the Lord. And the Lord sent the angel of the Lord, broke the chains. My goodness. And, you know, opened the prison doors for them. And he then, that same, same story ended up in the salvation of the guards and their family. You know, so God always has one more move. What about Joseph? You know, let's put that there at the very end. One of the best stories in that Bible. You know, when God would bless him and showed him even the blessings that was coming his way, how he was going to rise above all his brethren. By dream, he saw it. And all his brethren being envious of him. You know, those who would be his destiny destroyers. That's right. Destiny destroyers. They wanted to destroy him completely. Yet, among his own family, God began to pull out one more move. Each time that those would-be destiny destroyers conspired against him. First, it was Reuben that said, well, let's not kill him. And so forth. Throw him over here and all that. You know, that was a destiny helper that God used to save him out of the hand of his brothers who wanted to kill him. And next it was Judah, another destiny helper. I say, well, you know, let's just, don't leave him here. Just sell him into the land of, I mean, sell him to these Ishmaelites. And they took him to the land of Egypt. And every time, all the evil things that happened to Joseph, God always had yet one more move to pull him out. And finally, due to being framed because he stood his ground and would not be seduced, was sent to prison, yet God had one more move to pull him out of that prison. And the whole time when he was in the pit, when he was being carried to Egypt, when he was made a slave, when he was sent to prison, that devil must have been telling him, we will, just like his brothers told him, we will see what will become of your dreams now. The devil would have been telling him the whole time, we will see what will become of your dreams. I've got you right where I want you. Yet, every time God had one more move that would move Joseph even closer to that destiny. Of course, he had to go to that prison in order for him to be able to stand before Pharaoh. At best, he was standing before the army chief of staff, Potiphar. But, you know, because of all the evil that happened to him, eventually, through the gift of uh, passion that he had, you know, a lot of people said, well, it was his gift of uh, interpretation of dreams. That's true. But first, it was his passion and care and concern for the other prisoners that lent him to that. Because one day he saw them. They were always looking cheerful. But the one day he said, why look you so sadly today? Why is your countenance down? You don't look like this all the time. What is going on with you today? And the empathy that he had, the concern that he had for them, led him eventually to that. You know, and if he had not been concerned to ask about what was going on with them, why their countenances were down, you know, the interpretation would not have happened, neither would he have been able to stand before the king. But yet, the spirit of counsel, mighty counsel, that was inside of him, God, in one day, 
promoted him from prison to vice president or prime minister of the land. And Pharaoh said, your name is Joseph and I am Pharaoh. And nobody will lift a hand in this place except by you. So, God always has yet one more move. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> All of these stories, and I even told you my own personal experience, how God will always have one more move. One more move. All of these stories. Wow. And what about the Lord Jesus Christ himself? The Lord Jesus Christ himself. You know, when the devil thought, I got you right where I want you. <laughs> you know, put you right on that cross. Slam him into the grave. You're not, you know, you know you're finished. You're not coming out of there. You know, I mean, it's amazing. Of course, the Lord, he blasted out of that grave. Because the, the grave could not hold him down. You know, the grave could not hold him down. There's always one more move. The story of Lazarus. And then I can go on and on and on today. You know, I mean, Lazarus was in the grave. Four days. When he was sick, they called for Jesus. And Jesus did not even go. And he waited until the man died. Even though he said, this sickness is not unto death. Now, that should tell you something when you are believing God and the situation appears that it actually gets even worse. God still has one more move. And Jesus would do that because he wanted the disciples to see that the Son of Man had power even over death. You know, and he was going to show them that. And he waited, you know, until the man actually died. And when he died, he said, now let's go there. And he said, well, you know. <laughs> so his sister said, well, you know, the man is dead already. We called for you when the situation was bad, but you abandoned us. Now the situation has gone from bad to worse. Now the man is dead. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But he's dead now, buried, and been in the grave Several days by the time Jesus got there. By four days, he would have started to probably stink, they said. And Jesus said, <laughs> pretty much in the words of this uh, room today, when God is in the situation, it is not over yet. When God is in that situation, whatever it is that you are believing God for, even when the enemy taunts you, even when it looks as if, oh, the situation has gone from bad to worse, you know, there is always one more move that God can pull out. You know, and Jesus today, I mean, on that particular day, would show them that one more move. And he was going to pull and call Lazarus right out of the grave. And of course, remember, you know, thy brother shall rise again. What more can I say? There are many stories in this Bible. I don't have time and I don't want to take all day long. I come into the top of the hour to tell you many, many stories. And you yourself can examine your life. There are many times when your back has been, I mean, you're backed up against the wall. The enemy is right there. You might call those your own Red Sea moments. You know, and we have those from time to time. You know, but my encouragement to you today is this. No matter how 
bad it seems. And sometimes when the word, when the Lord gives the word of promise, then contradictions will arise against that word of promise. You know, when it looks as if, you know, I mean, when God tells you something, then the exact opposite will begin to happen. You know, and things will look like they're even getting worse. And God told Joseph and showed him all those dreams. Of course, he could have used a little discretion earlier and not open his mouth and blabber everything that God told him. But nevertheless, the word of God always sustains itself. And when it looks like, well, you know, I'm going to be ruler, you know, the Lord showed me, but look at me now. I mean, you know, I'm being rejected, being tossed to, to the, 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 the uh, pit, being sold into slavery. And it didn't look, it looked like the thing was a million miles far from that promise. You know, and, uh, you know, sometimes that's how it looks. When God gives the word, it looks like everything is going the complete opposite direction. But God has always one more move. Can you imagine? I mean, in our own lifetime, we have experienced angelic deliverance like the story I told you. Angelic deliverance. Just like Acts chapter 12. It happened for real. And it's a true story. And these are no idle words. Because every man will give account of idle words. You know, so, you know, what is the situation that you are facing today? I could go on and on. I have many more examples, but I'm going to cut it short right here because of time. What is the situation that you might be facing? You know, what is it? You know, remember, the devil, you know, and the devil cannot checkmate you as long as God is in your corner. God is in your corner. Even when the devil chip shot you, uh, Micah said in chapter 7 and verse 8, Micah 7 and 8, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. That's right. For when I fall, I will arise. God has one more move. He's going to pull you out of there. You know, and when I sit in darkness, the Lord is going to be a light unto me. What is the situation that you might be facing now? God has a way. He has a million ways, actually. But he always, he can never, you know, run out of the one more move to pull you out. You know, it's never over as long as God is still in the situation. You know, it's never over. It's never over. God always has one more move. Uh, on the other hand, you know, the devil, even though the devil cannot checkmate you, can never checkmate you if you play chess, the Lord can checkmate the devil right out of the box, you know, right from the first move. But the Lord just allows the devil there to for a purpose. But one thing is sure. There's all you can't when you're back to the corner and he says check. <laughs> there's always one more move that God can pull you out of that check situation. For those of you that play chess, you cannot. The devil cannot put you in a situation where it's checkmate, you know. But the Lord Himself can checkmate the devil every single time. So that's where we are going to leave it today. Two punchlines that I will leave that I will leave for you here today. Well, of course. The message of the title of the room today is in itself a punchline. You know, the full title would have been when God is in the situation, it's not over yet. You know, the, the room was not long enough to put it, uh, so I abbreviated it. But when God is in the situation, it is not over yet. And then finally, remember this, even if you don't remember anything else, 
God always has one more move. And it's like God holds the trump card. There's always that ace card up his sleeves. You know, no matter what the enemy is planning, no matter how much he thinks he's got you against the corner, God has one more thing that he can pull out. And if you can go in with that perspective, no matter what situation you are facing today, you know, the eye of faith can already see that the move that God will pull out will, at the end, turn the tables in your favor. You know, there can, there's one song that we used to sing. They say, you know, I can see, you know, God turning things around. I can see everything turning around. Everything is turning around. Everything is turning around for my good. I can see everything turning around. Everything is turning around. Everything is turning around for my good. Can you see it? Can you see that everything will eventually turn around for your good? That's right. God bless you all. Thank you for joining. Thank you for those who are on stage with us. Thank you for those who are in the room. My name is Pastor Yato. My lovely wife, Lady Ebon, is there. And I will uh, just say a quick prayer and then turn it over for comments and follow-up discussions. Father, we thank you. And we give you the praise and the glory. We know, Lord, that your word always sustains itself. And the word of promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you, which you have given us, even at times it will look as if God has forsaken us, but you will never forsake us. And you always have one more move. Even when the disciples thought that they were going to drown, you know, and perish, yet Jesus had one more move. There's always something that God would have to pull us out of that situation. Enlighten our hearts today to have this confidence that we have access to this kind of assurance that God is always on our side. And when God is with us, as the saying goes, you know, when God is with you, who or what can be against you? The Lord is the light of my life, the psalmist said in Psalm 27, you know, of whom or what shall I be afraid? Even when all the nations or anything else gather around against me, he said, you know, they compass around me about with bees, like bees, but yet in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them because God will always have one more move that will give me the victory. Thank you for the victory in the lives of your children today. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. I'm Pastor Yato and I yield my mind.